0: if you are international and want to add that to your calendar so you don't have to do all the time conversions, head on over to lovereality.org circles and add the internet church circle to your calendar. Welcome back to The Move, where we're vibing through the book, 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Justin Koo And in today's episode, we're talking about that part in the Bible that might actually be an episode of Game of Thrones in disguise. If you're wondering, what in the world am I talking about? We're looking at Genesis chapter 14, verses 1 through 16. My guest for today's episode is none other than Pastor Kessia Rain. Um, I don't know that you've ever seen Game of Thrones. I won't put that out there. If you have, cool. If you haven't, also cool. But when I was reading this passage, I was like, man... This is one of those sections of scripture where like in reading, it's probably not doing it justice in the sense like you read it. It's like, okay, cool. This king fought against that king. There's this war. People were captured and Abram rescued Lot. Cool. End of story. Like, and I was telling you kind of behind the scenes earlier, I feel like this whole chapter could be summarized in just a few words. Abram rescues Lot. But I feel like if this was going to be in a visual medium, like a movie or something like that, this would be probably one of the more exciting points where it's like a lot of violence and excitement and action is taking place and is like, man, this is probably what an episode of Game of Thrones uh, would be like if it was in the biblical narrative. So anyways, those are just my observations, but I'm, I'm excited to dive into this because of the fact of like, it's so easy to breeze past this chapter and maybe miss something that's important and meaningful for our narrative. So with all that said, uh, super excited to talk to you today. Well,
2: I'm excited for this opportunity. I'm glad we're doing this, you know, and I... I didn't put my name down for this. This is just, you know, where my name landed. But I'm grateful because I think as I have read through Genesis, however many times I've read through it, I've kind of done the thing that you just said where my eyes are like, yep. <laughs> <Pass> and <over. laughs> Abraham fought a bunch of people whose names I cannot pronounce. And in the end, Lot was saved. You know, like, cool.
0: Cool story. Now let's go on to the yeah, next cool chapter. Story, bro.
2: All right. <laughs> that's nice. Uh, oh Melchizedek, and that's kind of where my eyes fall ah, in my So someone else needs exactly. to talk about that tomorrow. But yeah,
0: very excited for that conversation. That is
2: going to be awesome. Melchizedek is a powerful figure. This, however, forced me to slow down and read it. And totally, this would make thrilling television. There's there's kings, there's battles, there's uh, negotiations, there's alliances. There are tar pits. Did you notice that part? Like people falling into yeah, pits I saw ta- tar. I, I,
0: I immediately thought of Star Wars where there's the sand dunes and there's the episode of Boba Boba Fett and Luke Skywalker are fighting and they fall into the pit. Like That's what I was thinking of when I saw Tar Pits. Is there
2: a Tar Pit in Star Wars?
0: Not a Tar Pit. It's like a sand pit, but just the idea of pit and battle. I was like, okay, that's what comes
2: to mind. I was thinking about the quicksand pits in The Princess Bride. Remember, they're going through the woods and they have the rodents of unusually... What is it? Unusual size or something? Um,
0: mm-hmm, so mm-hmm.
2: this is this is definitely thrilling television. And I'll, I'll say, as I read through it, it took me a few readings to be like, okay, what is even happening?
1: Yeah, I don't know if
2: this happens to you, Justin. Tell me the truth. When you see a list like the first few verses of this chapter fourteen, and Amraphel, mm-hmm. king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elassar, Kedorlaomer, king of Elam. Do you, I mean, are you like, mm, I'm really internalizing this. Or are you like, skip to the good part? <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. No, I, I mean, I want to say, as I was sitting down to look at this series of verses, at least three times in a row, even though I was actively trying for it not to be the case, three times in a row, as soon as I read about this time, war broke out in the region, and I saw the first name, like... By default, I ended up on verse 13. And but one of Lot's men's escape. I'm just like, how did I how did like how did that happen so quickly? And I go back to the beginning and it happened again. And I go back to the beginning and it happened again. It's like okay. I have to actively force myself to read every word. And I don't know, for me, maybe reading it out loud is one of the ways I can stop my brain from jumping ahead. But I've definitely been one of those kids who struggled in elementary school with the ADD and the ADHD. and It's it's, it's an asset in other parts of my life, but not when it comes to reading lists in the Bible. Yeah,
2: reading lists in the Bible, for real. Well, what I noticed in here is one thing we probably want to mention just thinking about it, like trying to get our minds in that you know, Bronze Age, ancient Near Eastern world is maybe it is like Game of Thrones. I saw half an episode once in a hotel uh, on accident and I was like, I do not understand what's (laughs) happening. Like period pieces do not make any sense to me. So like you all, I don't know who's who, I don't know what's happening. So maybe this is like Game of Thrones, but basically you have kings. Now we think of someone who's more like an emperor, someone who rules over Hmm. a kind of a multinational empire. You know, we think of Queen Elizabeth and she, you know, all these territories and nations that are all part of the United Kingdom. This is definitely not what was happening in this story. So you might recognize hmm. some of these names. If you've read through Genesis before, you might recognize names like Sodom, Gomorrah, or Zoar, mm-hmm. something like that. And mm-hmm. that that's going to show up later in the narrative as well. But these are basically only cities. So there's cities that Mm. have kind of a fortress around them as a border. And the most powerful person there is their king. So I'm not a king over a vast empire. I'm a king over this spot. And I can see from my house, probably the entire wall of my quote unquote kingdom. So my domain extends basically Mm. this far.
0: So it's not necessarily nation versus nation. It's not like as if the United States went to war with Russia or China or something along those lines. It's maybe like my city and maybe not even my city, my neighborhood. So it's, it's much more localized. It's smaller. I, I noticed when Abram hears about his nephew Lot being captured, it specifies how large his army was. And it was just 318 trained men. And that was everyone under his kind of uh kind of his influence and and which is really interesting description because the previous chapter actually talks about how Abram and Lot are like super super mega wealthy and so when it's in my mind it's like oh man this kingdom is massive and like maybe it's massive for context it's 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 massive for the kind of local definition of massive but it is certainly not like millions and millions of people it's 300 people which is respectable obviously but it's it, it gives us a, a smaller picture in the sense that it is a a, a city or a town versus another town it's maybe a family versus another family
2: yeah exactly so these kings have these really local domains and this is really how it worked a bunch you see stories like this where all through the bible where someone basically militarily bullies another city or later it will be more like nations fighting against nations Mm -hmm. Um, and then Mm -hmm. it's like okay you have to whatever like pay me all this money so i i'm going to take 20% of all your crops right so they kind of have mm. to pay it's like a taxation sort of system and then they get tired of it like you're mistreating us and then they rebel and they have a war and that's what happens here so we see these kings mm. that have these domains these city-wide domains pretty much and then you've got abram and abram mm. has an army that seems to be pretty much on par with some other kind of army, but he doesn't have a city, right? He is a herdsman. He Run. has livestock. Mm-hmm. He has, and he's got three hundred and eighteen people, three hundred and eighteen uh, men of fighting age, that are trained for fighting in his household. So these are people that work for him and live among him, right? So he he basically has like a village himself that kind of grazes on the land and all this but he seems like an unlikely character like why would he even get involved in this like lot is his nephew that's nice and everything um if it were me i would be thinking very carefully about whether i want to engage with the kings of whatever and whatever like these people are definitely killing people this is not just like a game of chess so why does lot Why does Lot make Abram get involved? Like what compels him? And I'm curious just what you thought as you were reading this. Why would Abram even throw his hat in this ring and endanger himself and and all these men?
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I I didn't look at it from the perspective of Abram being like a peasant in comparison to multiple kings of, you know, with great renown and, and armies and things like that. But when you point that out, it's like, huh what would motivate him other than just like the familial bond like of course like there's your family so you have a sense of duty when it comes to that but it does seem like what he's doing is is bold is maybe even kind of crazy perhaps like and especially with like all that he has to lose it's not as though that like you're you're just calling the police to go get your nephews like no you're putting your own life on the line you you have a lot to lose if the rescue operation goes poorly and so there's no guarantee that things are going to go in the way that he hopes that they are but he moves forward in in this kind of boldness. So why does he do it? Maybe it's because of uh, this is just what you're expected to do societally. I don't know. Is it maybe because he's a, a man of great faith and he knows that God's going to work through him? To me, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's an obvious answer, but it seems like he is motivated to do something about it.
2: Yeah, he, he gets these people that he's in alliance with. So it talks about his allies uh, that he's been with here in verse 13. And so, so it's not just Abram on his own, but he brings some allies with him. Okay. Something about this has been unjust and he's going to like right this mm-hmm. wrong. And the fact that Abram, um, hears that a lot has been carried off and all of his possessions. So it sounds as though they, the, the Kings that were fighting against the, the King of Sodom, the, the Sodom lost. So they go in and they raid and they start going through people's houses and taking all their stuff. And they're taking these people to be slaves. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. you're coming with me. You're working in my kingdom now. Like, you're going to be my servant. You're going to be this, whatever. So Abram's like, this is totally unacceptable. So he goes out and fights for it. And I thought it was so interesting to think about this chapter... And what was totally in my head is how Lot goes back to Sodom. So here's how Lot moves around. In the previous story, Abram and Lot separate, right? And and right. Lot's like, ooh, that place over there with the cities. and the- really ooh, good. That looks so good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go there. And so whether or not that was like a selfish thing to do or not, that's where he goes. Then he gets captured because he's living in Sodom. Abram rescues him, restores all his stuff, restores all his people. In the meantime, also rescues all these other cities. And then later, Lot stays in Sodom and we know what happens, right? So like a little bit of a spoiler alert. Once we get later in Genesis, a few chapters, we see that Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed for being very wicked. Like they're just super, super bad.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the previous chapter said that about it. When when Lot saw Sodom, he's like, oh, it's really, really wealthy. But then the kind of the footnotes like, but the people there aren't the best people in the world. It's kind of a violent place. Its crime rates are through the roof. And so it's like, man, dude, like you just had this really traumatic experience. You and your family were just taken kit- prisoners and you were kidnapped or whatever the thing is. Maybe several people in the process of being overcome by these enemies have died already. It's like and now we're moving back. Yeah.
2: You're a little bit like, okay. So what I what I was thinking about so much as I was reading this Genesis 14 is here we have the example where um, Lot is saved with Sodom and Gomorrah. Hmm. And then a few chapters later, we see where Lot is saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. Interesting. And it made me think about how the the conversation, I am I know I'm foreshadowing, like touching on stuff that was going to be talked about okay. later, but the conversation that Abram has with the Lord in chapter 18, I think it is, where the Lord mm. lets Abram in on his plans. He's like, hey, here's the right. situation with Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, I just hear complaints of suffering all the time. I'm going to destroy these cities. And Abram's like, ooh, like, uh, would you would you destroy it even if there were 50 righteous people? And he goes down this whole mm-hmm. list, and he basically is like, he gets the Lord down to, for the sake of 10 people, I will not destroy the city. And he never, doesn't right. even find those people. He ends up just pulling lot out of it. But it, it reminds me of Abram having the heart of the Lord too. He's like, I am going to mm. save this one who needs saving, no matter the cost or the risk to myself. This is a kind mm. of justice-seeking Like I'm making right a reckless kind of love. Like you belong to me. I'm not going to let you suffer with them, even though you've aligned yourself with them, even though they were not the best people, even though you were seeking wealth instead of maybe higher goals, even though like you could just be like lot bad choice. So sorry. And he does not abandon Mm. lot to his own bad choices. He puts his own life and his own riches on the line. And rescues him. In fact, and then the Lord intervenes and, and has to rescue him again. But it reminded me of like, uh, hmm, this sounds like the gospel.
0: It does sound like the gospel. It's making me think about those moments, those awkward moments when you get off the freeway. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're, you're getting to the light at the end of the freeway, kind of off ramp, and you see people on the corner who clearly you have some level of significant suffering going on. And there's always this, this back and forth narrative in my head, at least of, well, how do I help? Should I help? And then there's one side that's like, well, Jesus healed and helped people indiscriminately, no matter what their motives were, no matter their background or history. And then there's the other part of me is like, well, they might've made some really poor choices. Am I enabling these poor choices? What if after I help them, they continue to make poor choices? And what I'm observing in this story is that, even though Abram might've made poor choices and choosing to settle down in Sodom, um, Abraham's not leaving him alone to suffer the consequences of his poor choices. And then we have the really weird moment where it's like, even though he did suffer, he's going right back to the same watering trough, so to speak.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I wish I could remember who said it, but I just read in the last week, someone basically say that maybe it was Dorothy day, but that the life and ministry and death of Christ has freed us from having to weigh any judgment about who is worthy of our help. Mm. You know, it's like, that's good. Yeah. We can, we can like, Hey, you know what? You're free from having to figure out if they're worth helping or not. Like they're worthwhile. That's, mm. that's the end of that yeah. story because
0: they're Absolutely. made in
2: God's image and redeemed by Christ's blood. So that's a hundred percent.
0: I love that. I love it. That's really good. Challenging because you know there's people in my life when I have interactions with them I don't always feel that way or at least least that's not the first thought that comes to my mind right when when especially when I'm the what I would feel as the victim of some injustice where I'm like well they don't really actually deserve it there it's it's challenging to that that thinking
2: yeah it is and and I have learned over time um, I had a mentor who helped me with this but I was like I felt like if I'm supposed to help everyone I should just not save any for myself. And I should probably just be constantly going out and like finding people who need help and spending myself on their behalf. Mm. And that was a genuine motivation that came from a good place. But what I had to learn to do for myself was let me let the spirit tell me more about this. So when I'm presented with Mm. a need, um, I'm going to talk to the spirit about, is this a, give them whatever money you have in your pocket? Is this a, I can't help this time, God bless you. Or is it a, hey, can I buy you lunch? And a couple times hmm. using this, you know, my husband and I, when we lived in Chicago, we had, you know, homeless people stay with us, like come stay at our house oh, for wow. a night or stay for a month or, you know, and and sometimes it's like that could be super dangerous, but relying on mm-hmm. the spirit to tell me, hey, is this someone that you want me to help in this way or that way, or just to give them the dignity of eye contact and a conversation, you know?
0: Hmm. I like that. Depending not on a framework or rules per se, but allowing each individual moment and experience, uh, taking that to the Spirit and saying, hey, what would you like me to do with that? And then trusting that what God directs you to do, that that is the best thing for them in that moment. It's beautiful. Yeah, I think you're right. It it does sound eerily like the
2: gospel. What I always like to bring it back to the gospel, like there is Jesus here. Like The heart of Jesus is on display in Genesis 14.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you're listening to this, chances are you like listening to things that are good and redemptive and meaningful. Uh, I think that's a safe assumption, right? Uh, Pastor Cassia Rain, you have something that you would like to let our listeners know that they could also listen to.
2: Yes, I want to shout out the Dwell Audio Bible app this app came out i don't know maybe three or four years ago i remember waiting for it to launch because just reading the description i was like this is exactly what i have wanted every audio bible i would tried to listen to before just fell short a little bit although i've been blessed by many but i love dwell oh, okay, hold on.
0: real quick before you talk about dwell what, what were the ways in which other audio bibles fell short
2: Well, usually it was like I had one voice to listen to. It was like, I don't know, I Mm -hmm. used to have like Bibles on CD, like someone gave me. And so you're like putting your CD thing in and it's like, if I could just have it on my phone. And then you get it there and it's like, you want to hear NIV? Well, there's this one guy reading NIV and it was hard to start and stop and like create playlists. And it was just not as robust of an experience. And then there's Dwell. And are Mm -hmm. are you a Dwell listener, Justin?
0: No, you know what? I, I'll talk about the uh, the audio Bible that I like in maybe a future episode. So I'm saving it for a shout out, but Dwell is actually new to me. I'm looking at the website right now and I love the, 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 the pitch at least of this app. Cultivate a habit of living into the Bible. Listen or read along to God's word like never before. Like That's that's beautiful. I like Dude, it. Dude,
2: I am so in love with this app. I use it all the time. So they will divide it into like, say, stories. So you can actually go listen to abraham's abraham's story and it's genesis you know like 12 to 25 or something and read the whole Mm -hmm. thing you can choose any kind of version there are multiple voices for versions you can change the background music so do you want to hear piano do you want to hear cello do you want to hear guitar do you want to hear ambient you can have a sleep timer you can create playlists you can follow like daily listens. So read the Bible in a year or 21 days of peace, or they'll create playlists on falling asleep to the sayings of Jesus, or, um, I'm feeling lonely or something like that. So anyway, I am a huge fan of dwell. I'm like a lifetime subscriber. Take, take all of my time, please, because it's so enriching. So I love to listen to this on my walk to work or at night when I'm just like, You know, doing all my extensive nighttime face routine.
0: I I, I love that. And and I, I don't think that we lend enough weight to listening to the Bible. Like we always talk about, did you read your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? Read the Bible, read the Bible. It's like, okay, hold on. Yes, of course, first off, that's good. And that's important. But the way that the Bible was initially meant to be consumed was audio that it was gathered around the fire let's talk about the story that one time that abraham did this or that one time that david did this let's talk about that would you remember that one time and it's all like an audio narrative and there's something about just being able to stopping the kind of like the western approach of analyzing every word and what's the hidden meaning behind this and just immersing yourself in the narrative of something. So I have found tremendous value in listening to audio portions of the Bible because you can go through 10, 15, 20 chapters in a sit down, whereas reading that might feel really, really like overwhelming.
2: A hundred percent. I cannot say enough good things about this. Like I have loved listening to Abraham's story in preparation for these episodes of The Move. Like, let me hear the whole thing kind of in scope. So that way when I'm reading Genesis 14, hey, I'm kind of actually thinking about Genesis 19 too because I just heard that. And one thing I love about Dwell is their reflect mode. I will listen to the same passage of scripture and then you can kind of pause it, like give me a 10 second break and then it will play it again. So if I listen to John 3 and I listen to it four or five, six times in a row, every single time, like, I I finish that listening session with God has really put something on my heart. Like I've been able to really meditate on God's word, which we read about in the Psalms, and you're like, cool, what do I do? I just sit here and like close my eyes and like <laughs> you know. But listening to it over and over has been really meditative for me. So huge fan. So just want to shout out Dwell Audio Bible app.
0: Awesome. There you go. This is something that I'm probably gonna have to add to my regular routine. Appreciate the shout-outs.